0: The Square Ball Podcast. Hello, welcome to our new show, not football related, where we're going to talk about a different thing every month. Uh, the show is a collaboration between the Square Ball and Andy's Man Club. Andy's Man Club's slogan is, It's okay to talk, hence the name of the show. This time we're talking about money. It's okay to talk about money. Andy's Man Club, if you don't know, is a men's suicide prevention charity offering free to attend peer to peer support groups across the UK and online. Uh, as well as Michael being here from the square ball, Ollie's here from Andy's Man Club. What is the point of Andy's Man Club then, Ollie, very briefly, if you can just explain what it is you do? So we provide um, talking groups for men up and down the UK.
1: Um, We've currently got just short of 120 groups, but it's just a safe place for guys to come and talk about anything that might be bothering them, any feelings, emotions, problems that they've got that they might not want to talk about at home, at work, with the friends, um, or in those other social circles. Um, Just a safe, non-judgmental environment uh, Bring guys together, talk, play, prevent them from getting to that crisis point in the first place.
0: Um, your groups meet every Monday, apart from bank holidays, 7 o'clock, places across the country. Details, uk. Yeah, go back as well. We started before Christmas. We spoke about um, Christmas uh, on the the first show that we did. So if you're not feeling particularly festive, which you might not be in January, you can go back and, and listen to that where we just dug into some of the issues. and Had a bit of a laugh, I think,
2: about, uh, Michael, your uh, experience of a Peruvian Christmas. <laughs> it yep. was nice, the pig in a pig in a, uh, in a bath, the scary scary dad and all that but that was good uh yeah so um
0: through this series of shows we' are just going to talk about sort of day-to-day issues and um and look at some of the stuff that comes up some of the stuff maybe that, that appears in the groups as well Ollie and his man club just have a chat about them share some stories hopefully have a bit of a laugh January financial pressures um we're around that time of year now where people are feeling really really skint back end of um of January and um blue Monday is the thing you wanted to address isn't it right from the off so'll we'll, we'll lead off on that because we've just had blue Monday which if you don't know what it is, well, what is it? It's a fallacy, is what it is. Well, the, um, the, the idea it, it, it was a professor, wasn't it, who came yeah. up with it for a, a holiday company to try and flog holidays, basically saying this is the the time of the year, the day of the year when you are saddest overall, you're most depressed. But it was with a means to try and sell holidays so to cheer you up.
1: Yeah, basically. It was um, to get people to part with the money. And I, I don't personally like the idea that this is the worst day of the year. This is the day that you're going to be sad. So... We're gonna tell you that you're gonna be sad on this day. Well, it might not be for everybody. <laughs> Quite
0: simply, you know. Well, yeah, 2023 was the 16th of January, so um, fairly recently.
2: Uh, did you feel particularly miserable? Seemed all right. Yeah, I thought you managed to get through it. <laughs> yeah, reading through Jesse's um, press conference stuff. That's always a little bit a bit tough. That was um, the day was we were reading over him saying it was our best performance and all that, wasn't it? So. Yeah. Yeah. Other than that, let's let's try and steer away from the than, foot, other football. Because other we, than Leeds United, it was fine. <laughs> we don't want to drag everything down
0: to Leeds <laughs> United levels. So th- we're talking about money because yeah, I say a lot of people feel in the pinch in January. What is your what's your relationship like with money? Because I I kind of I'm kind of fascinated by this because we joke about you being like the, the Pontefract's tightest Man Michael, <laughs> but we we've spoken quite a lot off air about money and our relationship to it, haven't we? As well because I think yours and mine are vastly
2: different. You stress me out with your <laughs> your way of dealing with money and you your descriptions of past spending habits. It's funny, I went to um, Temple News with the kids at the weekend and we drove past a pub that we met in a few years ago now when we were trying to first getting Square ball set up. And it was the, the place where you first detailed your various levels of debt. And I remember <laughs> just leaving that place and thinking, Jesus Christ. You got well, more,
0: you're more stressed about it than I did. I, did. I,
2: I instantly set about trying to find solutions for it. I was like, well, that this this can't go on. Yes. <laughs> you need to sort this out. you, <laughs> It was just an amount that you'd be... You kind of built up and you were just paying it, but you are paying so much, it, it panicked me. It was keeping me oh, awake yeah. at night, was your debt situation at the time. So, oh, yeah, we, pay, we were paying over a grand and a half every month on just servicing
0: debt and probably pay, about a third of it was paying it down, but most of it was just a standstill on credit cards. We just got into that spiral because I've been self employed. You know, obviously, I spent years as a DJ and then did the radio as well. But to do my job in Newcastle, the radio was so expensive that I was chucking like six or 700 quid a month on initially car hire, which went on credit cards just to be able to get there. Then bought another cheap car and sort of ran it. And I was doing 700 quid or something like that a month on on fuel. So I was actually, although I was earning quite well, a lot of it was already going out and car maintenance was like through the roof and all the rest of it. But that was on top of, as a DJ, you know, like I'm in my 40s now and, and I quit DJing. I thought I need to stop before I'm 40 because it's sad to being a 40 year old man in a nightclub. You don't need to do that anymore. Um, so I did, I packed it in. But over those years, you know, as, as the work sort of diminishes. As you get older into your 30s and your forties, because you can't do student nights anymore, can you, midweek? And obviously with changes in the sort of general financial landscape, students have got less money to go out with. So the work all just gradually dropped off, but the the debt had sort of accumulated to the point where we'd never paid it down in time and it became such a burden that we could just couldn't we couldn't afford to pay it off, if that made sense. I'll get to the 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 debt management plan, which we're we're doing and we're still midway through now. But yeah, it's interesting talking to you about it because it really, really stressed you out. My, I think my stress built up from it over a number of years, which contributed to, as I spoke on the show last month, about getting involved in therapy as well. And it was part of the reason why my stress levels were so high because I got booted from the radio when everything got networked. And suddenly I was staring down the barrel of having no job and needing to pay quite a lot of money
2: back to banks and various you know loan companies or whatever. Yeah, the contrast with me is that I've just been dead sensible. Oh, I think, I think your lifestyle went to a point that you sort of maintained when you, beyond when you could I think I always just kept mine to such a crap level it was, <laughs> I know when I was applying for a mortgage they go through like affordability stuff with yeah. you on the phone and the woman couldn't believe how little I was I was <laughs> spending on stuff <laughs> this can't be right because they go through they're like how much are you spending on like uh, what your one sky and I was like oh, I don't have it how much is your mobile phone like tenner how much is how much are you spending on a gym don't have one uh she was like what well but, but, did you spend money on anything on anything else? And I was like, oh, well, yeah, like going all an and stuff, but I don't have any kind of ongoing stuff. She's like, have you got a car on finance? She's like, nah. Um, <laughs> any other loans? No. Any credit cards? No. She's just like, uh, well, okay, I suppose. I suppose there's so there's nothing really you could cut out if you because they, they go through the affordability, saying like you can afford this now, but what if X, Y, and Z don't they? If you cut She's back like, your lifestyle, then what could you cut back on? I was like, well. Not a lot, really, I don't suppose. I could I could go on, like, no holidays and stuff, but that'd be all right. Do you feel like you've missed out at all? Not
1: really. Do you think they're sort of driven, driven by some sort of fear of debt, of, of overspending?
2: I think, and it's completely unfounded as well, because I've never been in debt. My parents were never in debt. It's not like I've got horrible childhood stories of, like, bailiffs at the door, and that's where panic is driven from. I don't know, I just think I've always been worried about it. And I don't like the idea of... I don't like the idea of owing people like, anything to the extent there is if someone's lent me a tenner i'll be very quickly trying to give them it back i don't like i don't tend to like stuff drifting on like that and i'll be um i don't know i think i like other people to be cautious with money as well <laughs> in a weird way i'm always like you know you should want this back because because it's yours <laughs> and i get the same when around birthdays and christmas as well people are trying to buy stuff because i'm like you know AJAM, I am, age I am. I've got my own money. If I want something, I'll just buy it myself. Like I don't I don't feel the need and you'll to. you'll buy the right thing as well. I'll buy the right thing, exactly. Because <laughs> if someone's trying to buy me something, I'll like, no, nah, I don't, like I'll buy it myself. And I don't want you buying something frivolous, because if I don't buy it for myself, I don't want you spending your money on that either. If that makes sense. You're in a situation, Ollie, where you've had a bit of money troubles,
0: you've been on the rocks a bit, but you've cleared it all up and you're now in a position to get mortgages. Yeah. Yeah, it's um somewhere that I never thought I'd be, to be honest. Um my
1: relationship with money has been stressful over the years. And in fact, I think money was one of the things that contributed to, to my own depression. It was that self-fulfilling prophecy of got myself in debt and then couldn't afford to pay off the debt. So was becoming more upset about that. And the more upset I, I got about it, the sort of less I really gave a shit about it um, and just carried on spending more. And one of the ways that I tried to deal with my depression was to, to buy things, to buy things to make myself feel better, um, which obviously when you're in debt, isn't really a, a great thing to do in hindsight, but it sound like, seemed like a brilliant idea at the time. But yeah, I went through quite a long period of not having very much. So I've just cut back on, on absolutely everything. Once I started addressing the, the debt problems after burying my head in the sand for quite a long time about it, I was unable to get any credit whatsoever. I, I spent five or six years with no credit available to me, just living off, off my, my actual income. Whilst paying off the, the outstanding debt. Um, and then from there, it was another couple of years of, of rebuilding that credit rating, which was absolutely through the floor to a point where I could actually start to get a decent amount of credit. Again. And now, like I say, I'm in the position where I'm currently trying to buy my first home. we have had a, a mortgage approved and it just it's a position I never thought I'd get to. I genuinely never thought I did. When I was in debt, uh, we talk about this a little bit earlier, but you feel like you... You're never going to get out of that cycle. You know, I felt like I was never going to be able to buy a house, never going to be able to buy a car, never going to be able to afford the the things that I really wanted in life because I had this black mark against my name. So to be able to work through that and and get to a position that I wanted to be is really rewarding. I guess it's, it's something to be huge sense off. of achievement. Yeah, 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 massive, absolutely massive. And you know, it's it's something that I really want to share with other people because when you are trapped in it, you do feel like it'll go on forever.
0: Do you remember and, what it felt like to have no control of your finances?
1: Yeah. There were other factors as well, but ultimately I wanted to kill myself. I did not want to be here anymore. It was some pressure that was far too much for me to take as as a, as a man. I wasn't speaking to anybody about it. It was just something that I dealt with as far as I could and as much as I could by myself, and it got to a point where it was no longer manageable. So I just started ignoring the letters, stopped paying the bills, and obviously made it a hell of a lot worse for, for myself um, in the long run. But there was a um, an underlying sense of dread, and it was... It was constant for uh, maybe four or five years before I actually started addressing the problem. Um, I can
0: relate to all this. Yes,
1: it were it, it just never went away. And as I said, you know, that's those are the points where I was at my lowest, where I couldn't see a way out of it, and I genuinely didn't want to to be here anymore. And it was only when I started addressing those issues that I could then start addressing my mental health as well, because the two do go hand in hand. And the more I worried about it, the worse I felt, and the less. Willing or less willing, I had to do anything about it. It it did actually get to a point where I thought, you know, well, I'm not going to be here next year, so there's no point in in so it to, yeah. Curb any of it. I might as well just do what I need to do for the time being. And it's it's a bleak place to be. It really, really is. And looking back now, you know, I'm I'm glad that I did manage to get things sorted out.
0: Was there, Was there a thing or a moment that tipped you over into addressing it? Because that's the hardest thing isn't it? it's uh, it's like with so many of these things is, is confronting the issue itself rather than running away from it and you know it goes back to difficulties around Christmas and families that we spoke about like last month It's the same with this isn't it is getting a grip of of that sense of control and that comes back as soon as you deal with it head-on um, there was a change in, in my living circumstances I went through quite a,
1: a messy breakup which left me homeless for about eight months and when I eventually got my own flat was a point when i was determined to make things right um i was determined to sort of get back on my feet after you know relying on other people for for such a long time and this this new flat for me was a clean start if you like it was a place of my own i didn't have to worry about whoever else was living there or having to agree on anything or argue over things it any it was my space i could do whatever i wanted in um and ultimately that was the the turning point for me to I knew that I didn't want to live in this council flat for, forever. So I needed to sort of pull things together a little bit and and manage things and address these things head on. And coincidentally, it was about the same time that I started attending Andy's Man Club um, when I was in that flat. So I had conversations with other guys who'd been through other similar things and it inspired me to make that change in myself as well. I'd seen that it wasn't impossible to get out of that situation and hearing their stories gave me the a little bit of, knowledge really, a little bit of wisdom of somebody who'd been through the, the same situation to be able to make the right decisions and, and take
2: the right actions for myself as well. I guess it's very difficult to to get a turning point though, because it's so quick to get into debt. But when you look at maybe what you've built up and the road ahead of it is very long. I mean, how, how many years is it say from that point to getting a mortgage? Um, probably about eight. Like it's, eight a, it's, a, it's a hell of a long time, isn't it, to dedicate to it, but it just, it's breaking that spiral is, is almost the most, that's probably almost the best bit of it. When you first—when you make the choice to be like, okay, today I'm going to start putting this right. And that's
0: thats the thing, it's, it's dictated by your credit record, isn't it? And stuff stays yeah. on there for six years. So if you default on a on a payment or whatever, that's the point at which you, you're six years from that point onwards. And I said with the debt management plan that we're in, we're sort of midway through it now. Be have done in another sort of three years or whatever, but until then we can't borrow and we're in that place. But actually, do you know what? The, getting the sense of control back has been so important and we're now living within our means mm. and the sense of actually the sense of control and the sense of joy of living within your means and thinking I don't have to worry month to month about I've overspent on that and at some point in the future I'm going to have to pay it back but I'm just going to pretend it's not there for now is it's so huge is that flipping over into that that mental space I think. there's
1: such a relief that comes with it, it with actually knowing that you don't have to hide from it anymore um, that you don't have to sort of shelter away from it once I started tackling those problems. Once I made that initial phone call to a debt management company, it was like a massive weight had been lifted off my shoulders because it was something that I'd been putting off for years and years and years. Same. Worrying about, for you know, every waking minute, uh, struggling to get to sleep at night over it. And then as soon as I did, I thought, why the hell didn't I do that sooner? Why didn't I do that sooner?
0: Yeah. I went through Step Change. You were based in Leeds, actually. And they are brilliant. They're a charity, so they don't take any money from doing the stuff that they do. And God, it's so simple to do. (laughs) <laughs> it, yeah, it's just yeah. worth reiterating that you know there are consequences, like financially and to your status, and particularly if you go for so, like for example, a debt management plan is an informal arrangement with your creditors, but they write to them all on your behalf. You pay them one payment a month, and then they distribute it um, according to the calculations you work out based on your budget, which is dead straightforward
2: and they're really really helpful. With and it. it's not a consolidation loan, is it? That it's a...
0: absolutely not. No,
2: what it, I mean it's
0: it's if you think actually where, where interest rates have been going recently, um, it's it's good because. In most cases, I think, with ours, all the interest has been stopped, the accounts have been cancelled, and we're now just in a process of working with like the collection departments just to repay the stuff at an affordable rate, and we've probably brought our outgoing payments down to about a third of what they were, but it's all going on mm. getting repaid now, yeah. and you attack it so much quicker when you do that. Like IVA as well, um, an involuntary... I um, can't remember the exact wording of it, I should have written this down before we started uh, <laughs> recording, but the involuntary... Agreement. Have a look for me, will you? While I'm talking about this, the an IVA is more serious, and it's sort of a halfway house between a debt management plan and um, like bankruptcy. It's a formal legal agreement, um, as is bankruptcy as well. But they are all there available to you, depending on what your needs are and how bad that your finances can be. But they will advise, like step change, will advise you yeah. on what the right route is um, out of this.
2: It's an individual voluntary
0: arrangement. That's the one, IVA. Yeah, but it's that's a that's a legal agreement, whereas like a debt management plan is an informal agreement with your creditors, so but this is all explained to you i mean i'm not a i'm not an expert in this by any stretch of the imagination i just know that i benefit hugely from engaging in this process and getting back that
2: sense of control yeah, like, and step changer a are charity aren't they they are completely they do not take a penny out they out are there. neutral people as well to speak to and can give you advice and it is it is just worth speaking to someone because it can be just an insurmountable amount of information can't it you can look yeah. at, at various ways of, of shifting debt around and stuff but just Beat some people who know. Yeah, because so, we tried to. Way. Yeah,
0: we tried to consolidate and move stuff
2: around for for years, but eventually you just you run out of options and you realize you're
0: up in, t- you know, up to your eyeballs. It's too deep. I think, you just need to de- deal with
2: it. I think what you found as well is that essentially they go to credit card companies and say, "You can have this back, or you're going to force them to be bankrupt. You'll have none of it back." From their, the credit card's point of view, they've already had their pound of flesh, haven't they? Because you've been paying your interest yeah. many times over. I don't know if you've ever worked out how much you've probably paid back. Over the years, I don't want to know. It'll be, it'll be, it'll be but it, they've had their money, yeah, yeah, haven't they? Yeah, That's yeah. the thing, and they will, it's... and they
0: will get back what they're owed, even if they don't get all the massive amounts of interest on top. Exactly, and and the things with step changes. Well, they're on your side, but I, th- I think they are actually as a charity, they are partly funded funded by the credit agencies as well um, as other individual donors. I don't know; I'd have to double check that. Um, I think I think they are, and I think
1: it makes sense because you know, if if like me, you just stop paying altogether, then they're not getting anything. Um, whereas if you can come to an arrangement where you make affordable monthly payments, and at least they're gonna they're gonna get it back, and it, it helps both ends, and it helps you guys, and it helps them close the account as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and I know that you know going forward it's going to be completely different, um, and never ever going to entertain that scenario again. I will take credit because you sort of need it to function in the in this world, don't you? But it's always going to be sensible and within limits, you know. If even stuff like having a credit card so you can hire a car abroad, which is nigh on impossible to do without a credit card just having that to fall back on but getting back in control of everything has been has been so important and it was as simple as like you know sitting down and talking to them you can either do it online or you can do it on the phone just doing a budget everything that's coming in everything that's going out work out what's left and you go from there but they're you know they're sympathetic and they allow you to sort of move what's coming in and going out and if your expenses go up one month if your washing machine breaks you need to get a new one they'll allow you to sort of tweak things for a month or two to to get stuff back in order so it's um it's a hugely hugely valuable service. So if you if you are struggling with money seriously, just look up step change stepchange.org. Uh, are absolutely brilliant. Can recommend them completely. I mentioned budget in there as well. Is is it something you do or do you not now? Cuz part of debt management is budgeting monthly like so we've worked out a budget which we sort of you have to stick to as part of the agreement. Is it something you do in your
2: day-to-day life? It's not really. I think cuz I'm quite um I suppose my default is fairly thrifty. Yeah, yeah, you're some way off ever. I'm I'm kind of, (laughs) and like between me and my wife, we've got kind of a a decent enough income. So I don't, I sort of don't worry too much. If I felt like I was spending was getting out of control, I might start looking at it a bit more. I suppose, I suppose I'd look for budgeting for like, if I'm booking a holiday or something, I'll be then thinking, okay, well that's going to be an amount due now, an amount due in six months or whatever. I suppose I look at that sort of stuff for budgeting just to make sure there's going to be there's going to be enough there, but no, I don't. I'm. I suppose I'm fortunate insofar as I don't. I don't feel like I could go around the supermarket going, "All right, I've only got eighty quid here, and I can't go over it." So,
0: what about you, Ollie? Do you, now you've kind of come out the other side of this, and you're you're in that mortgage headspace. Do you find that you're a little bit more careful with budgeting?
1: A little bit. I, I budget very loosely. I know roughly. I've got two bank accounts, and I've got one that the bills come out of, and one which I spend money out of. My wage gets paid into the one that I spend money out of, and I just transfer. Enough, all that month, enough to cover yeah. the bills for that month, yeah. and then whatever's left is gone within a week.
2: <laughs> yeah, in fairness, that's the arrangement I have as well. With you know, an amount of what I earn goes into a joint account, and all the bills and stuff come out of that, yeah. and, and shopping and stuff comes out of that. And there's, there's enough in there that it covers
0: it. And... I, tell you, I tell you, it's a mad exercise to do, you even if you're not fully budgeting, is to sit, sit down and work out what you're spending at a supermarket mm. every month. And because like, you know a lot of phone and banking apps now have categories don't they for, for stuff and make, so it makes this process easy you can just have a look on your phone at what you're spending month to month but if you ever sit down and actually write it down that's a fun exercise I don't believe you <laughs> <laughs> uh, and yeah tongue firmly in cheek yeah we once we <laughs> did it because our nearest supermarket was uh, was Sainsbury's stuff for ages it would be a case of popping in and what we were doing we were going in like 4, 5 maybe 6 times a week and you're burning through 20, 30 quid at a time if not more it's easily done particularly yeah. now with the way that food prices and supermarket prices are going and we sat down once and I, and I figured out it was like, we were doing like 300 quid a week on shopping. I wonder where all the money was going, you know, on top of all the debt. And I was like, ah, do you know, it's, it's all going in there. And then thankfully they opened an Aldi nearby. I absolutely slashed the, the <laughs> weekly shopping bill and then um, and i have kept a close eye on it since and tried you know, to meal plan mm. and stuff like that. Uh, one, of the, one of the things I found that was a
1: massive help, and it sounds proper daft, but getting milk delivered. Because we go through a bottle of milk every day in, the, in our house. So every day we're we'll going to the shop to get some milk. But at the shop, we're also spending £30, £40 on other things <laughs> from, uh, you know, just buying stuff for tea or getting whatever it might Coming be. Coming out with you. a power
0: tool if you're in Aldi. Exactly, right. <laughs> that, Those that, middle that, aisle middle bag, aisle, yeah. <laughs> um,
1: But just, yeah, getting milk delivered to the house meant that we were only going to the supermarket maybe once or twice a week rather than six or seven times a week um, and absolutely cut down on the amount of spending
2: phenomenally. I mean, the problem with budgeting more recently has obviously been that, you know, you get that email from your energy provider who says, you were paying 130 pounds a month it's yeah. now 400 pounds a month you go oh great nice fun <laughs> what do i do with that yeah i mean that's <laughs> just turn that right? off shalla
0: yeah and it has been a huge i mean we're you know we're sort of making light of it but it is a genuine eating or eating situation for some people isn't it um and have, have you found that as the um Andy's man club sessions have resumed after christmas that people are more mindful or worried about finances and that sort of stuff um i think it's been it's been ongoing for, for since before
1: christmas you know people were worried about having to spend money at Christmas or for, as we were talking about in the last episode or those expectations because we're worried how they're going to keep the house running at the same time. For myself, I've I've recently moved house into a rented property and it's on a prepaid gas meter and it's absolutely extortionate. It's Those things are designed for the poorest among us essentially, but they're on the highest, highest tariffs as well. And we're putting so much money in, into this gas meter just to, try and stop the kids from freezing, basically. We're not even having the heating on 24-7, just putting it on a couple of hours in the morning, a couple of hours in the evening. And it's having to be very, very conscious about when we choose to put that on, making sure we turn it off, Are we're going to run out of gas. And then, not only that, but to go and top it up, you've got to go to one of three shops, anywhere near a 10-mile radius or something ridiculous. And they only accept cash as well, so you can't even pay on your card. So just making... Something that's already really inconvenient and difficult, even more inconvenient and difficult, and it's just so unbelievably frustrating. I don't understand how, how it's got to that point in the first place.
2: I really don't. Stuff like that is just horrible. Like The fact that they... Because they've been making people have them as well now, aren't they, in certain properties, and it is it is essentially just a way of punishing you for not having money in the first place, which is obviously is going to make your problems worse. It's uh, not something, sadly, we can particularly solve here, but it's just one of those things that you think, that's that's just shit. It's completely unfair on people. Do you um, have your little remote control for your smart meter? Do you have it out or is it in a drawer? Do you know what? It never actually arrived. They came and fitted it and they said they were going to send it on and then never did. Yeah, we still still haven't got it. I think you get it and there's a novelty aspect to it where you go,
0: oh, I can see what I'm spending now. I mean, I'm talking before things went absolutely crazy in the last six to 12 months when we got ours. So this is interesting and I I ended up becoming a slave to it. Like, you know, you know, (laughs) you ever like... Your dad walking around the house turning stuff off, saying it's like, pull illuminations in here, you know, those sort of northern cliches. But I found myself doing it, like saying, bloody hell, the kettles, it's 14p to boil the kettle and things like that. It's like, this is no way to live. It's no way to live. And I know everyone's like kind of been steering more towards sort of caution um, these days and, and be mindful of what you're spending. And in many ways, that may be one of the good things that does come out of what's happened with the, the huge energy costs is that people are just a little bit more switched on to um, to using stuff, you know, assuming you can afford. To do that, because I am, I'm a little bit more mindful, mm-hmm. like you know, using the air fryer instead of putting the oven on and and things like that, and
2: you know, a lot things about, like I've gone around draft proofing as well. Yeah, as a result of it, you're like, wow, is that kitchen door does have quite a, a breeze coming under it. I'm just going to sort that out while I'm uh, while I'm thinking about this. But I think that in terms of like the the kind of cost of living stuff, I feel like there's a a difference as well between us talking about this stuff, and it it really one thing that really winds me up is politicians kind of making out that you just need to sort out your budget with stuff. Like talking down to people who have—they obviously—I mean—if you're an MP, you're on eighty odd grand and you get expenses to pay for your heating and stuff anyway, and then you you see some of them going, well, really, people just need to people just need to budget properly and cut and out your, your avocado toast and your that exactly You can you, afford to put your heating on. You've room for a flat screen TV. You've money for a flat screen TV, haven't you? As if you can get any other sort of TV. Yeah. Uh, this in this day and age, but yeah, that sort of stuff—it really, really winds me up when you see people and say, "Oh, you, you can get Weetabix for." for 8 pence why why live is off they, that, live off that why day. is anyone hungry it's like well cuz you'd get scurvy and, and <laughs> die of malnutrition if that's all you ever ate it's like great advice thanks very much you can get a bag bo- you can get a bag of oats for for 80p it's like yes and there's nothing in it that is any good for you like it will stop you feeling hungry yes but it won't it... Not a horse. <laughs> yeah but like surely there's more to life than this and yeah. you're not the person you're not the person to tell me about it yeah, there are difficult conversations around that as well. About, and I think it's
0: disingenuous, isn't it, to say you can just just make your life a lot more simple because you get accustomed to, you know, like you say, you walk into a supermarket and there's, you know, there's fruit, there's veg, there's, there is there are your oats, there's pasta, but you don't want to have to walk past everything else just, you know, to get the most the, the basic discount line of pasta and oats and live off that do you? It's uh, it's a bit of a it's a it's a false argument. I mean, mm. It's a fallacy.
1: It's, it is and. Um... The other thing is that it's those basic essentials that have been the um, highest price hikes, if you like. Mm. I think the cost of a, a cheap bag of pasta is going to buy about 200% in the last you know, couple of years. So you used to be able to get those three kilo bags for about £1.50, for about four quid now. Yeah. You know? And if somebody is living on those things, if that's what they need to survive, then their cost of living is increased exponentially, way more than people that are buying the, the weight, you know, have had to move from weight trust to Aldi or whatever. Mm. And... Yeah, I think there's a massive feeling that those in power are completely out of touch with, with those that are actually feeling the the pinch directly.
0: Do you feel like you're in control of your money now?
1: I think it's uh, it's uh, one of those relationships where we both have a little bit of control. It controls me and, and I control it. Um, like I said, I have surplus to, to my wage once my bills have been paid. I'm very fortunate in that respect, but that surplus does not last not with kids no well no not with with kids not with you know everything else that goes with it I like to get out and about I need to escape the kids sometimes as well you know (laughs) so be able to facilitate any sort of lifestyle you need you need a little bit of surplus cash don't you really and it it tends to be that I have to plan very carefully when I'm going out when I'm doing these things with the kids whether it's going away for the weekend with the lads or whether it's taking the kids to, to football training I've got to make sure that those things are all all put to one side before I start going, splashing out on a new set of headphones or, or whatever it might be.
0: One of those things that's hugely prevalent at the minute, gambling. And we should say that like we've, you know, on our podcast, on this podcast, we've turned down loads of money from gambling companies for sponsorship. Occasionally there are dynamic ads served up that we can't do anything mm-hmm. about, but Acast, who's our host, knows that we don't want gambling companies sponsoring us. So just getting that one out of the way up and front.
2: The Phil Hay Show was for a time sponsored by Bet Three Six Five as well, which, yeah, which we, was not our show. We couldn't do anything no, about it. No, we couldn't that, really yeah. choose
0: that. No. no, but relationship to gambling is an interesting one, and I imagine it's it's something that features in a lot of blokes' minds in the in this day and age with the the prevalence of like advertising uh, around it and, and sport. Absolutely, and we see so many guys coming through
1: that have um, been stung by by those hopes and promises of, of those gambling ads. If you like, um, you know they. I, I think they I don't understand why they ban ads for cigarettes. They ban ads for alcohol and things like that. But alcohol, which I mean uh, gambling, which is a lot more dangerous in the short term, um, is is splattered all over everything. You can't watch a football match without you know being having it rammed down your throat, and it really can be life destroying. It can destroy relationships. It can destroy jobs. It can destroy entire lives. Um, and it very very quickly gets out of hand. From you know you lose tenor, So you put twenty quid on to try and get your original tenner back, and you know I've, I've heard some really, chasing really, losses,
0: chasing losses. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah,
1: I've heard some really dramatic stories where people have gone through tens of thousands of pounds, uh, taken their entire savings from from the partner and out of joint accounts and things, and then been trying to chase those losses so that they can get away with it, so that the partner's not going to find out that they've just taken all the the deposit for the house. And it, it's scary. It really is scary that people can get to that position so quickly.
0: I guess we're going back to political lobbying again there, the reason why it's, the advertising's not being banned. And this is the thing as well, you don't want to be kind of nannying everybody. You want to give people the freedom of choice and acknowledge that most people don't have a problem with gambling or don't have a problem you know, with drinking and things like that. Uh, it's, it's one of those everything in moderation things, isn't it? But the, the more extreme end of the scale is quite terrifying.
2: I, like, I have no real moral objection to gambling and I will have bets now and then, never, never very much, because it's just, I think it's... I'm fortunate that it's not really in my nature to risk more than I can afford because I'm, I'm thrifty, generally speaking. But the way that it is marketed, I, I follow a, an account on Twitter called Gambling With Lives and they, they have support for people who've like lost family members and so who've who've killed themselves due to gambling problems and they kind of uh, lobby the government and stuff to try and, to try and introduce more things. But they show, quite often we'll share a screenshot of a Premier League football match and they'll say like the word bet is on screen 48 times there because you can see it on Every player's shirt, you can see it on the advertising boards. You can see it on the scoreboard behind. You can see it on fan shirts, and you think it's too much. Like there's there's an amount I think which you were like bookies have always been there. But when I was a kid, the the bookies was a place you walked into, and it was like a little booze and fags. A little, yeah. It, <laughs> it was, a, it, like was a, it was a little a little place on the corner where old men went in. Whereas now it's it's on your phone, isn't it? You've got you've got a bookies available 24 7 and 100 adverts a day telling you to have a little look at it. So I think it's it's something that I, the technology has overtaken the legislation, I think, for it. Because it, when it was just to put a bet on, you had to wander down to William Hill, not saying no one had a gambling problem in those days, but it was a lot more limited because you had to actually get up off your ass and walk down the shop and put some money in and have a vague idea what you were doing, whereas now you just it's sort of gamified, isn't it, gambling? Yeah. It's turned into... It's almost the same as you might pick up your phone and play Candy Crush or something. It's like, a, I would just have a look at this. It's just something that's a bit of fun for you to do. But actually... Within that app, you can, if you want, you can deposit a grand and lose it in ten minutes. If you depend because there's always the sport betting, but they all also have a casino site. They have like live roulette on them. They have all these different things you can do on it, and it's it's a dangerous thing I think to get people to just to try and get people into and to to hang hang the sort of um, the temptation in front of people to go. Oh, you can win hundred grand on this if you if you want, if you want to have a look at it. It's up to you.
1: Ultimately, the bookies always win, don't they? You know, yeah. And and that's why the biggest taxpayers in the UK over the last couple of years have, have been online betting companies. You know they, They've paid hundreds of millions of pounds in tax, and that's probably why there's not going to be putting any, any legislation in place to prevent them from doing what they're doing. I just think, uh, yeah, I I morally don't have a, an objection to gambling like yourself. I know the dangers of it, and I think that more could be done to prevent somebody who usually puts on 50, 100 quid, whatever it might be, from depositing Half the life savings in there because something's mm. gone, you know, something's gone tits up and they're trying to find a way out of it. I think algorithms and the technology that we have today should be able to prevent those sorts of things. They mm. should be able to see people's regular spending habits. And if something's out of the ordinary, it should be flagged and, and questioned rather than just letting them dip it straight in.
0: It does exist because it's the same algorithms that they're using to pull people in. So the technology mm. does exist, doesn't it? It's the same stuff like you get the, the dopamine hit from Facebook likes and things like that. It's the same yeah. sort of principle with, uh, with gambling and um, dopamine hits from losing or winning, whatever it might be, and they just it kind of it, it feeds the the addiction. Or people who are prone to addiction, it's going to f- particularly feed it for them, isn't it?
2: Yeah, I mean, and you, it would be easy for them to do it. Just insofar as you can look, you can tell from someone's postcode what their house is likely worth, and if you can see someone's living in a house that's worth 150 grand and they've put 200 grand on this year in probably bets, bad idea. That probably just need to tell them not to. Because <laughs> that, there was a, a case in um, involving Paddy Power where um, it all came to the. It all kind of came to the public eye because he'd, he ended up imprisoned in prison. this guy because he'd been um, he'd been stealing from work as a result of it. But it, he was living in a really ordinary house, and he'd staked like over a million quid with him. And he had a, he had an ordinary job, and they'd but they'd given him like VIP phone numbers he could ring if he wanted to put bets on. They'd taken him to um, they him to the races and get some giving him some football tickets and stuff. So it's, like, like,
0: it's, it's the equivalent of like the Las Vegas Wales, isn't it? Where they, yeah. they get their hotel stay for free and loads of freebies and. Sh- Show tickets and concert tickets because they spend some money. Which
2: is fine if you're a millionaire and you can, and 20 grand, 30 grand yeah. here and there's, if, if that's nothing to you. But to love ordinary people into it is is horrible. I'm pleased
0: to say, despite my own wastefulness with plenty of money over plenty of years, that I've never really gambled. I've probably put on about 30 bets in my entire life. Is so. that all? Yeah, just, it's just never something that's particularly engaged me. Um, mm, which you, you would think, given how reckless I've been with money in the past, particularly sort of 15, 20
2: years ago, that. Mm. Um, maybe that would have been something I'd fallen into but I'm pleased to say <laughs> I haven't done. I'll tell you one thing that changed my relationship with gambling actually was that when I started doing this, the match betting thing you know betting using free bets to bet on alternative outcomes it's kind of a, a way you, you can gamble without losing money more or less but yeah. do research it properly yeah. if, you, if you're going to do it but knowing seeing how quickly you get those accounts banned when they can see that you're, you're doing something that'll, that'll actually win you money they're like well this isn't the sort of customer we want here we want we want people who are going to lose money. We don't want. We don't possibly want to to be um, to be paying out here, and they and they can very easily at that point. It can be as little as winning fifty quid off them, but in a way that makes them suspicious, and they'll go right banned. Whereas if you're pouring money into them, they'll be like, "Come on, come to the races. Have this telephone number so you can put on some more bets." It's like if if you're a good customer to a bookie, you're a customer who loses money, and there's a the stat about I think sixty percent of their profits come from five percent of their customers. Really? Wow. So it, it just goes to show that. There are people there funneling a huge amount of money in, and they're the ones that that they need to look after for their wow. businesses to function.
0: As a man who's been careful throughout his life, have you ever done anything outrageous in terms of money? I mean, just bearing in mind, people who watch our show will will be aware you repaired your own roof because the quote you got was too expensive. I just <laughs> terrible thoughts of you being up there like covered in tar and falling off and all sorts of <laughs> stuff. I'm not I'm not
2: paying somebody to do that. Yeah, that was a bit much. Uh, well, I mean, this week I repaired my dishwasher. Changed my <laughs> I changed my own car battery yesterday. <laughs> So yeah, I, I think it's probably it's probably not a great advice to tell people to look on YouTube <laughs> <laughs> to try and fix stuff. Um, tw- League United twenty-year season ticket that was a big uh, definitely uh, a waste uh, of money. That was a big daft expense on it. That was stupid. Um, but I knew I'd be buying it anyway. Yeah, it was fine. It was an, that was an investment I would say more than anything. I mean house stuff. That's always expensive, isn't it? That's the that's probably the main. That's when I've got most stressed about money, I suppose. When you taking the plunge on getting a house and getting a mortgage and being like, right, it's going to be this much. But if, as people have found out recently, if you're on a flexible one and interest rates go up, you're like, okay, so that becomes not 700 quid. It becomes a grand. If it goes to this, it becomes one and a half grand. And the panic of that, I've, um, I've always found stressful when I've, when I've got a mortgage. So I've always <laughs> gone, I've always gone like the longest fix I can <laughs> just to sort of. Buckle yeah. down for it. I'm looking. At, I locked in for five years before interest rates started climbing.
0: I did it like 12 months ago mm. just before because I was worried. Like yeah. I, you, You've rubbed off on me. You say, I've been listening to you all this time we've <laughs> been working together. Have you have you ever done anything like frivolous? Is, is there anything you look back on and I thought, what a waste of money that was. Why did I do that? Or why did I buy that?
2: Um, God, do you know what? I don't think I've... I tend to buy... Stuff that's not that expensive. I don't think I've, I'm, trying think I've bought, I'm trying to think if I've ever bought anything ridiculous for loads of money. I don't think I have. I suppose I, for me, it'd be something that other, other people would consider not that expensive. You know, like when I've just bought something, that might be like 50 quid and I'd be like, oh, I don't need that. Well, the, re- the reason I ask you is because
0: I've got a very specific example in mind of my own, which was I bought a jacket from Harvey Nichols in Leeds. I've
2: never done anything like that.
0: Which I, I wore it twice to go out and it was like, it was like a suit jacket it was like, it was almost, it was quite cool and cutting edge, which you, obviously you can tell I am. Mm. Um, and it was like the stitching was all visible. Uh, it was almost like it had been turned inside out and half tailored. And it was really, really nice. But yeah, I wore it about twice. How much? Uh, it was about 120 quid.
2: Oh, it's not as bad as I was expecting. No, but mind, no. you, mind you, what year was that? Yeah, we're probably talking over 20 years ago now. Oh, you could buy a terrace house for 120 <laughs> quid in, that, in those days. But I, and do you know what I ended up doing? I ended up,
0: when I saw it in my wardrobe, I'd, and I was never prepared to part with it, but when I finally did, I thought I'm not even going to try and sell that on one of these reselling apps. I'm going to give somebody a bargain, mm. and I just I just it. So hopefully, Very somebody right. at a charity shop will get a really nice. We'll have a nice, really nice jacket that, that I've sadly outgrown.
2: <laughs> when I got married, I did get um, I did get a made to measure suit. Actually, yeah, that was like, that was about five hundred quid. That's probably the most frivolous thing because it's been worn six times, seven times, I reckon, in my life. So. All, all my daft money went on holidays. To be perfect, honest, it's
0: too many holidays, mm. too much fun. Oh, wait, anything? Have you have you gone frivolous on anything? Um, given that, given that you've you you know you found yourself basically without somewhere to live and you know trying yeah. to rebuild your life from from the bottom, what was the the thing that got you there? That you go fucking hell, why did I do that? Uh, before
1: I got to that point, um, I, I did take out a loan to consolidate some of my my credit card bills and I had a couple of grand left over on on the back of it. Um, I got incredibly drunk one night and spent about six hundred quid in a strip club in Halifax. And I didn't even get handy for it. So, you know, it was not, not worth a single penny. Um, but it was, yeah, I've never had a bit of regret like it in my entire life. That was one of those moments where I just head in hands thinking, why the hell did I do that, honestly?
0: Did you what, Did you wake up and go, oh, no.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it was a massive oh-no. It was a, a massive oh-no that lasted a, a very long time. Um, but, yeah, the, the most expensive thing I've, I've bought was probably... My car, I didn't learn to drive until I was 32 and I bought a, a Skoda Octavia VRS, which I absolutely loved. Unfortunately, shortly after that, we, the fuel prices absolutely rocketed. Mm. We came into a cost-living crisis and I had to sell it. The only fortunate thing about that was that the second-hand car prices increased massively as well. So I got back every penny that I paid for it, but uh, I miss that car still. and mm. It was worth um, definitely worth spending the money on, unlike the strip club. <laughs> but unfortunately it was just
0: a lot more money I mean what a way to finish
2: <laughs> yeah I mean nights out that, I suppose that would be the most frivolous stuff because you never well I'd say you never need one maybe you do sometimes but you can easily do like on a very modest night out now you can do 50 quid can't you which is you know it's a fair chunk of money is that and yeah. you can you can be like oh that's just gone which is a bit of a shame but I think I've always been alright to say no to stuff as well if someone's been like trying to like oh, there's a stag do going on of someone you vaguely know and it's going to be a week in Tenerife or whatever, you'd be like, no, nah, I'm not going to do that. I, I, I don't need to spend that. That's going to be like 600 quid. I don't, at, I, don't parties, to, I don't need to spend that. But you know, like for the stress it'd bring me long term, it's something I don't really want to do <laughs> as well. So I know it's a tough balance in it between never doing it, because obviously never do anything. It's dead cheap, in it? But, um, you know, try and, I guess, pick and choose it. Yeah, And be it, feel, feel like you can say no to stuff. I think that is important though, because, people do end up saying yes to doing stuff that they don't actually want to do. Yeah. Like it's, and then it's just, it's easy gone, is that money. And uh, if you don't, if you don't look back on it, that strip club fondly, then... Um... <laughs> what was
0: the, uh, what was the name of it?
2: Uh... Never mind. we we'll... <laughs> don't give tell me a if, plug they've had t- enough
0: money t- tell us afterwards $600. anybody
2: who lives
1: in Halifax knows which oh dear me uh,
0: well we'll wrap it up there then good fun again and um, we'll come back in February and uh, and talk some more we're going to get some different people in as well from Andy's Man to we'll tell some different stories as well um, we'll decide on topic for, for February maybe we could do love because it's Valentine's Day in February you feel the love? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> it, starts, it starts
2: in a strip club in Halifax. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Just to remind Andy's Man Club, over 100 free support groups. Over 120 now, you were yep. saying. Yep. Yeah, um, that meet nationwide, uh, various places across the country, Monday nights from seven for two hours, except bank holidays. Andy's Man UK. And we'll see you in February. The Square Ball Podcast.